0: Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening.
1: I think about Jesus. I think about someone who can really be there for you, in, in bad times, in good times, and uh, basically any any time in your life, from from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, e- even throughout your sleep, He's still there, and it's someone who can comfort you and guide you through life in hard situations, and and that you, that you go through. Without Him, I, I think. It's almost impossible to to get through some of these without him. With him, along with you, it makes life a lot more easy to deal with. And he's there, and that's that's who I can look to for that. Growing up, I was very uh, I, I got off the deep end and got into a bad group of friends, a bad group of people that led me down a very, very miserable and bad path and led me into addiction with drugs and alcohol and basically broke my life apart, my family's life apart, and all the relationships I had were, were gone until basically the only relationship I had was with drugs and with God coming into my life. That was the spark that finally got me back on my feet and got me going again. And without him there for me, I wouldn't be sitting here speaking right now. Three months ago my mom passed away and it was a a really big hit to my life. It was the first time I had Jesus on my side, in my mind, that someone passed away and usually that result would be, let me run away, let me do drugs, let me, you know, escape that way, um, and this, this time I had comfort, I had some, someone that actually comforted me, um, my friends, family, but Jesus surrounded me with good people that made me feel good, made me feel great am very comfortable and accepting of the fact of what happened. When I feel depressed, when I feel upset, he's there to kind of tell me it's okay, you know. She's in a good place. You, you just keep on going. It's another day, it's another minute, you know. Since trusting in Jesus, my life has changed dramatically. If I, if I could show a picture of it, you know, it would just, it would be you know the difference between in my mind of of hell and heaven and it's like it was it was very very dark it was dreary it was sad it was upsetting arguments um sickness everything you could imagine bad to going to not everything perfect there's challenges out there and there's a lot of stuff that faces you day to day but each day has gotten happier, has gotten a lot brighter, um, has gotten me to being engaged and almost married, and you know, hopefully to the point where I can have kids. Before that relationship with Jesus, I don't think any of that would have even been possible. Looking back, six years. I would, I would probably even be marrying someone, let alone having kids.
0: Will you help me thank Chip for that? Appreciate him helping us focus and think about Jesus. And for the past several weeks... I have been stating that Jesus is the central figure in history. He is hard to ignore. And his actions, they demand our attention. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And this is the question that we have been asking for the past several weeks. And I want to take a few moments and kind of review with you the statements that we have provided in response to that question Who is Jesus? Who is this man? So we started a few weeks ago by saying, here's how you can describe Jesus. He is a friend of sinners. That's who he is. And Jesus is someone who chooses to use me to introduce others to him. That's what that should say. It would be interesting if Jesus used me to introduce others to me, right? So it should say to him. Thirdly, Jesus is someone who knows me and he sees me. And in spite of what Jesus sees and knows about me, he still uses me. And that's because Jesus is a friend of sinners. You can go back to point number one, right? Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. That's who he is. He is the Redeemer. He's the Rescuer. He is the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. And we're going to wrap this up today in terms of this part of our journey through the story by saying... Here's how you can describe Jesus. He is alive. He's alive. And that's a pretty significant thing. Jesus is alive. You know, we celebrated the resurrection four weeks ago on Easter. And I want to come back to this all-important story when we think about the person of Jesus. But I want to do it from a different angle. I really want to look at this from the perspective of a skeptic. Like, what if this didn't happen, right? Like, there was a dead body, and then he came back to life. That's pretty amazing. That's spectacular. And what if that really didn't happen? Or what if it didn't happen exactly the way that we may think it happened? What really went on with all of this? And so I want us to be thinking through the lens of a skeptic today. Here is our upper story statement, and keep in mind the upper story is the big idea of what God is doing, and that is God did not waste His time on a worthless plan. And I think that will begin to make sense as we work our way through our time together today, that God did not waste His time on a worthless plan. He sent Jesus, He lived, He died, and He rose again, paying the price for our sins. That was His plan. Which takes us into the lower story. These are the events that happened on earth. And so if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 27. In just a moment, I'm going to begin reading verse 57. And we'll take our time to get into chapter 28 as well. I want to review the account of the resurrection story as told in Matthew 27 and 28. You can also scan the QR code in your program and that'll bring up all of our notes and all of our scripture for today. So Matthew 27, what's happening here is that Jesus is killed and he has carried the weight of sin and he has walked through all of the pain and misery of execution by crucifixion on a cross. And so he's dead and what we see here is that people are beginning to prepare his body for burial. And so here's what we see in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. And out of respect for God and his word, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read. Verse 57 says, As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, "...went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching." And that is not a small statement right there. Sometimes we kind of glaze over that as we're reading the rest of the story. But I want you to remember that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they're watching, they're observing. That's where Jesus is going. That's what's happening to him. Verse 62. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. And they told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, All right then, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Chapter 28, verse 1. So early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. Well, guess what? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly... And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. And these are God's holy and authoritative words. You may be seated. The resurrection really is a shocking event. Again, there was a dead body. And then all of a sudden, there is no body. There is life again. It is an amazing story and, again, a shocking event. What I think is interesting about the resurrection story is that it is recorded in all four Gospels. So the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all took time to gather historical data and to share their perspective on what happened with the resurrection of Jesus. That's kind of an important thing. So we read about it in Matthew 27 and 28. In Mark chapter 16, you can read about that. In Luke chapter 24, there's the account of the resurrection. And then in John chapter 20, all of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they take time to walk through this great historical event. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to do something different than what I normally do, and I don't generally teach this way but I want to present four problems with the resurrection. As if we were to say, again, through the lens of a skeptic, there is no way that this could have happened. And here are problems that might point us and help us come to that conclusion. I want to share at least four problems with you. There are more, but we're going to focus on four problems. Problems with the resurrection, like this could not have happened. There was a dead body, now the body is missing, Everybody's claiming he is alive, but I'm not really sure it happened that way. So I want to posit four problems to you. And then I want to come back and present four proofs to you of the resurrection. And again, there's more proofs than four, but we're just going to focus on these four proofs for this morning. So in your talk notes section, I would encourage you to take that out. There's a lot of blanks for you to fill in, it'll help you stay engaged. And will help you remember some of the different things that we've discussed today. So, four problems with the resurrection and then four proofs. Make sense? Okay, let's start with the problems. Here's problem number one, and that is the wrong tomb. They went to the wrong tomb. And this theory assumes that the women who reported that the body of Jesus was missing, simply made a geographical mistake. And then when they went and told the disciples about it, they made the same mistake with the location, and they came out saying, the body is gone, he must be resurrected, but they simply went to the wrong tomb. Now let's think about this for a moment. I think it could be said that it's possible that the disciples, the men, would have gone to the wrong tomb simply because they would have refused to stop and ask for directions along the way, right? Like, we know that's a possibility. They're just not going to stop, and so is it over here or is it over there? I'm not sure. Let's go with this one. It has to be it. Like, we can see that happening, can't we? But the women, well, that's a whole different story. They were coming with burial spices as well. So they're really focused and very serious about properly carrying for the dead body of someone that they loved. They were coming prepared to do the right thing. And you know, if they would have gotten lost along the way, they would have stopped and asked somebody, where is the body of Jesus? Because we want to take care of him. We want to give him the respect that he is due. In addition to that, as we read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 61, it says explicitly, That as the body of Jesus was being placed into the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea, who was watching all of this? Well, it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. So there is no doubt that they knew exactly where the tomb was located. If the resurrection claim was merely a geographical mistake, here's the reality. The Jewish leaders, as well as the Roman leaders... I think they would have come up with the exact location because they wanted Jesus dead and they also wanted to keep him dead. Even as we read... In Matthew 27 and 28, they knew that Jesus claimed he would come back to life and they were worried about that. And so they came up with this plan where they would roll a stone in front of the tomb and they would seal it and put Roman guards there. They were very concerned that Jesus may come back. He said this. And so they took every precaution to make sure that that wouldn't happen. They wanted him dead and they wanted him to stay dead. And so if it was simply a geographical mistake, like they're saying Jesus is alive, Because the tomb is empty. Well, guess what? That's the wrong tomb. He's right here. That would have been kind of an easy thing to do. And so the wrong tomb theory is probably a bit shaky. What's another theory? Well, here's the second possibility or the problem. And that is, did Jesus just pass out? Meaning maybe he didn't really die. But he was exhausted from the whole ordeal and he had lost a lot of blood and it appeared that he was dead or perhaps he even faked his death and everybody assumed he was dead and so they took his body off of the cross and they put it in the tomb and at some point a little bit later in the cool of the tomb he kind of revived and came back too. But he really wasn't dead, he just kind of faked his death. Well, skeptic David Friedrich Strauss, who was a German theologian from the 1800s, a liberal theologian. He was an individual who really didn't believe that much in Jesus. He wasn't that cracked up about the claims of Christ, and he got into a lot of trouble for this. Well, he wrote a book at one point that talked about the different claims of Jesus, and I want to share with you Here's a review on his book, just so that you get a picture of who we're talking about here. So this is someone who's not a big believer in Jesus. And here's what the review on his book said. It said, this most pestilential book ever vomited out of the jaws of hell. That's what they said. That's a nice review, isn't it? Like, gee, I was hoping for something a little nicer with my book. A little rough in the 1800s, I guess. Well, here's what this liberal theologian actually said about the theory of Jesus just passing out. So keep in mind, he's not a big believer in Jesus. But here's what he said that kind of gives a death blow to this thought. It is impossible that a being who was stolen half dead, who crept about weak and ill, wanting medical treatment, who required bandaging and strengthening, could have given to the disciples the impression that he was a conqueror over death And the grave. That's what a liberal theologian said who doesn't even believe in Jesus about this particular theory that there's really no way that that could have happened. And all indication is that those who were there and observed the scene understood and believed Jesus to be dead. I think we also have to remember historically the Romans were very good at executing people. And so they knew what they were doing. This was a command given to them. You need to make sure that Jesus is killed and that he is not alive. They certainly would have followed through on this. So, Jesus faking his death is a big challenge. Here's problem number three maybe it's the stolen body. And this theory connotes that the body of Jesus was stolen by the disciples while the Roman guards were sleeping. Which is interesting because here's a group of individuals who were frightened and scared and they abandoned Jesus in his greatest hour of need. Remember all of that? They were really frightened because they knew people would start coming after them. And so what happened in them that would have caused them to all of a sudden be bold and confident that they would sneak past the Roman guard, they would roll the stone away, they would go in and take the body of Jesus and place it somewhere else and move forward with a deliberate lie. We also have to remember that 10 of these 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. They were killed themselves for believing that Jesus was who he claimed to be and for teaching about the resurrection. Now, I'm thinking if they were pushing out a deliberate lie and they start getting killed for that lie, at some point, somebody's going to crack, aren't they? Like, you know what, I, you know, my buddies, they were all saying that, but I, you know it's, it's not the truth. It is a lie. We parked them over there, and I want to live. That's what I want to do. You would think that that would happen at some point. Stolen body. It's tough. What about problem number four? And this one's a little more theological in nature, and that is the Father, or God the Father, raised Jesus. Jesus didn't raise himself. Therefore, the words we find in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, where Jesus is talking to a group of people and he's telling them, I will be killed at some point, but I will come back to life. I will raise myself. Therefore, the words of Jesus are not true. And if Jesus is not a truth teller, then we're all in a lot of trouble, aren't we? So this theory, this problem states, God the Father is the one who raised Jesus. Yeah, He came back to life. We'll give you that. But Jesus didn't do it Himself. If Jesus didn't do it, then He is not a truth teller. And again, that puts us all in a lot of trouble. Well, this objection simply fails to take into account the Trinitarian nature of God. And when you look into Scripture, one of the things we see is that all parts of the Godhead were involved in the resurrection. And so there is no contradiction. It is true. Jesus did raise himself. He was part of the Godhead in doing that. So these are just some of the problems given about the resurrection over the years. Again, there are more. I wanted to just focus on those four. The wrong tomb. Did Jesus just pass out? Or his body was stolen and parked somewhere else? Or God the Father raised Jesus, Jesus didn't do it himself, that makes him a liar. Four problems. Let me take a few moments and talk to you about some proofs. Here's proof number one of the resurrection it's the empty tomb of Jesus. The empty tomb. And honestly, this is arguably the greatest proof for the resurrection. Because, again, it should have been easy for someone, for anybody, to say, all right, you're saying that Jesus came back to life. Well, here's the tomb, and here is the body. But that never really happened. So the empty tomb of Jesus, arguably the greatest proof for Jesus being alive. Here's resurrection proof number two. It's the large crowd of eyewitnesses. Scripture tells us that there were over 500 people who saw Jesus alive after he came out of the tomb. And that was actually read for us a little earlier in our worship time from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing and saying, there are over 500 people who witnessed him and saw him and observed him and they would be able to give account of this. He states, Paul does, that these men and women, many of them, are still alive. Like you could go and you could ask them. And Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in approximately 55 AD. I think this is kind of interesting. Because here's the Apostle Paul saying, I believe Jesus came back to life. And I want to talk to you about this. I want to teach this. But if you don't believe me, ask him. Right? Or ask her. They were actually there. Such a statement in a genuine historical letter written within 30 years of the event is very strong evidence. It's very strong. And consider this 500 witnesses. It's a lot of witnesses. Might not seem like a big number. But it's quite a bit because if you asked all of these eyewitnesses who claim to have seen Jesus to give a few minutes of commentary on that, well, that would take quite a bit of time. If they were on trial, that would be a really long trial. So to put that in perspective, consider this. The longest trial in U.S. history lasted three and a half years. It's a long trial, isn't it? At this trial, they had 182 eyewitnesses. Does anybody remember OJ? Yeah, remember that trial? It took eight months. The trial of OJ had 111 eyewitnesses. So 500 witnesses who could claim that they saw Jesus alive is very significant. Resurrection proof number two. There's a ton of people, not just the disciples, not just the women. There were a ton of people, over 500 outside of those who saw Jesus alive. Great proof. Here's resurrection proof number three. There's actually no counter-historic information. There's no contradictory historical information concerning The resurrection of Jesus. This doesn't necessarily prove anything, but it is noteworthy that there are four different books, four different authors that give an historical account of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and who was ruling, and what are the different events, and all of these things can be proven. Four different authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who give historical evidence to the fact that Jesus came back to life. You would think if this wasn't true, or if this really didn't happen, that someone would be able to come up with a writing or something of that time saying, yeah, I don't think that's actually the way it went down. And so here's my historical evidence refuting what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would say. No such writings exist. There's no counter-historical evidence that this didn't take place. Again, not necessarily extraordinary in terms of proof, but very interesting that we have four Gospels that give a historical account of what happened to Jesus, and there's no counter-historical evidence from anybody else. Here's resurrection proof number four, and that is the changed lives of the disciples. And personally, I believe this is the greatest proof for the resurrection. You have the empty tomb, arguably. That says quite a bit. But I think when you consider the changed lives of the disciples... This is one of the greatest arguments and proofs for the resurrection. Remember, these are individuals who are frightened and scared and hiding because they had abandoned Jesus. They left him in his hour of greatest need. And they're hiding in a room for fear of their lives. And then in a very short time after this, we find them out on the streets And they're boldly proclaiming that Jesus is alive and that people need to trust in him alone with their lives. What changed? What caused them to go from being very fearful individuals hiding in a room to being emboldened and confident in their proclamation that Jesus was alive? I think there's only one answer to that. And that is they actually saw Jesus alive. And when they saw Jesus, and when they ate with Him, and when they touched Him, and when they observed His wounds from His execution, it absolutely changed everything. Now, I recognize that just because the disciples claimed to have seen Him alive doesn't necessarily mean that that is truthful and accurate, because perhaps they were just hallucinating, right? Maybe some morning they're making pancakes and waffles and in the mix there is the face of Jesus. Oh, and there he is, right? There's Jesus, he's alive. And they have this hallucination and they go out and prove all of that or live with that. But keep in mind, they're killed. They're killed, 10 of the 12, for their belief in the resurrection of Jesus. So was it just a hallucination? Well, here's the problem with the hallucination theory. Again, the disciples ate with Jesus post-resurrection. They touched him. There was a body. Most of the information you read about hallucinations is those things do not happen in a dream or in a vision or in a hallucination. You can't eat with someone physically. You can't touch them. It's a hallucination. The other thing that's interesting about hallucinations is they tend to happen to individuals, not to groups. Well, Jesus appeared to the disciples several times as a group. Look, the disciples believed that they had seen the risen Jesus because they had actually seen the risen Jesus, and it just completely changed their lives. So what about my story? What about our story? What do you do with this information? And I'm not sure where you are this morning, if you're kind of a skeptic and you're not so sure about Jesus and who he is and his claims, and maybe he did come back to life, maybe he didn't, and you're trying to figure all of that out. Maybe that's you, or maybe you're here, and you're very confident that Jesus really did come back to life, and I know that, I believe that, and I have a really good feeling about that on the inside. Well, I want to share some takeaways for all of us. I have two thoughts. Number one, do not fear trusting in Jesus alone to save you. If that is something that you have not done yet, Again, you're trying to figure out this Jesus person and you haven't embraced his leadership and forgiveness in your life for whatever reason, I want to encourage you, do not fear trusting in Jesus alone to save you. And here's why. It's because he's alive. I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. I believe in that with everything inside of me because of these proofs that we've talked about because of other proofs that have been presented over the years. And I also believe that because of what Jesus has done for me personally. When I trusted in Him alone to save me, my life changed, and I was put on a whole new path. And Chip talked about that. And many of you have stories of how you were moving in this direction And Jesus got a hold of your life. You trusted in him without adding anything to that. And all of a sudden, you started moving in a different direction. doesn't mean that your life is perfect. It just means that you have a forever friend. And you have trusted in him alone to save you. I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus because of how it changed the disciples, because of how it's changed me, and because of how it has changed millions of other people. And I want you to consider this. The life of Jesus is an invitation. And he invites us, come, follow me. Come and check me out. Investigate me. Question me. Jesus doesn't have any problems with that at all. And so if you're here and you're curious or you're a skeptic or you're just not sure, I would encourage you, maybe today is the day that you cross the line of faith and have no fear about trusting in Jesus alone to save you because he is alive. Maybe you're not quite ready to do that. Then I would challenge you to, again, keep investigating, keep questioning, keep asking things about Jesus, keep looking into his life. And I want to share a chart with you that if you're still a little unsure, I want to give you some material to read, some things to observe. And so if you look at the screen... If you are still not sure about Jesus, you're just not there yet, but you're practical or a nuts and bolts type of person, or mathematically or scientifically inclined, then try reading the Gospel of Luke for its clarity and details. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a smart man, very educated. And so if that's you, again, if you're a nuts and bolts type of person or you're mathematically or scientifically inclined, you're not sure about Jesus, look into Luke's gospel and read through that a bit. And I think you'll find some wonderful answers there. If you are artistic or poetic or a philosophical thinker, then the Gospel of John is something you should read for its poetry and powerful imagery. If you're from a Jewish background, then the Gospel of Matthew is something to read for its treatment of prophecies about the Messiah. And Matthew is the lone gospel written exclusively to a Jewish audience. And so again, if you're here and you're trying to figure out Jesus and you're not quite there, you're not sure about all of this, you're not believing everything quite yet, Then here are some things that you can try reading, and I would encourage you to keep doing that because the life of Jesus is this constant invitation check me out, check me out, consider my claims. Don't fear doing that. But also, don't fear trusting in Jesus alone to save you because he's alive. He's alive. Secondly, if you have trusted in Jesus alone to save you, then here is a thought. It's it's really a question for us to consider. And that is, how is the resurrection changing your life? If you're a believer, then the resurrection should be changing you in some way. And you should be able to point to that and identify that. It's what we see in the disciples. Pretty big change. They go from hiding from being fearful to all of a sudden being very confident, being very sure of what they were saying because they saw Jesus alive. The resurrection changed them and their whole story. And if you have trusted in Jesus alone, how is the resurrection changing you? Again, you should be able to point to something and say, that's it. That's what's been happening in my life. And that's all because of the resurrection. You know, God didn't waste his time on a bad plan. And as we have been moving through the story from Genesis, the very first book, all the way into the New Testament and considering the life and the person of Jesus, as we have been walking through this, one of the things we see in God's grand upper story is that He is desiring to reach out and rescue those that He loves the most. He wants to rescue people. And so part of this grand, amazing plan is His Son, Jesus, And Jesus comes on mission, not because he was bored or because he needed something to do or because he wanted to know what life was like here. He came with a single mission, and that is to die and to rise again, paying the price for our sins. God didn't waste his time on a bad plan. His plan involved Jesus for you and for me. And so if you have never trusted in Jesus alone, don't fear crossing that line of faith. Because he's alive and he walked through all of that for you, for us. If you have trusted, I think we've got to wrestle with this. How is the resurrection changing my life today? How is it? Father, we come before you. And we want to acknowledge you for how amazing you are and for your grand plan of sending Jesus. Jesus to live and die and rise again, paying the price for our sins. You did all of this for us. And God, there's a lot of problems that have been presented over the years with the resurrection. A lot of people saying, "Ah, I'm not so sure about that. And maybe it didn't exactly happen that way. But yet, God, I think there is a body of proof, both within Scripture and outside of Scripture... That makes it very hard to deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's really difficult to hold on to the fact that he didn't come back to life. And so God, wherever people are, if they're still wrestling with that, still wondering about that, I pray that you would speak to them and encourage them, help them to keep asking questions, to keep investigating, to keep considering the life of Jesus. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed, your eyes closed for a moment. Maybe you're here and you haven't crossed that line of faith yet. You're just not too sure about Jesus. But maybe in our time today, the light has come on and it makes a little more sense. And maybe there's some fear and trembling in your heart, but you're ready to trust in Jesus alone to rescue you and to save you, then I would encourage you right where you are, from your heart to God's ears, cry out to him and let him know that you're trusting in the work of Jesus on your behalf and that you want his leadership and forgiveness and you know that you're a sinner. You know that you've made a mess of your life, but he came to give you life eternal Just talk to him about that. Use your own words and let him know you're trusting in him alone and in his life and death and resurrection for you. If that's something that you're offering up to God for the first time from your heart to his ears, I want to congratulate you and say that you have a forever friend who will never walk away from you. Maybe you're here and you have trusted. That's a step that you've taken. So I want you to be thinking about how is the resurrection changing you? And can you name something? Can you identify a way, a characteristic, or something in your life that can point to the reality of that resurrection in you? Think through that. God, we stand before you today Understanding that you have this upper story, this wonderful plan. God, often we get bogged down in the weeds of the lower story and what's happening in and to us. Would you help us to look up a little bit today and to see that you are a God who put into motion this wonderful plan and you didn't waste a plan, you put it in motion, you sent your son, he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again, paying the price for our sin. And so we can trust in him, we don't have to fear doing that. So God, challenge us today with that and help us to keep thinking about ways that the resurrection is changing us. What a spectacular event. All based on your plan and your love for us. Thank you for your grand and beautiful upper story that we all benefit from. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have one more video that I want you to watch that shares the story of how Jesus is impacting a life. His name is Bob Krause. Bob is just a dear, dear friend of Valley Point. He has been here from day one. Actually, Bob and his family and a few others are the families that started this church. And so he's been with us at Valley Point from birth all the way till today. And he is just an incredible follower of Jesus. And we had the chance to sit down with him and ask him about Jesus and his thoughts. And so I want you just to listen to a dear friend of Valley Point, a dear man who is in love with Jesus, and just think about what he's saying. So check this out.
2: When I think about Jesus, I think about someone who has paid the, the price for my salvation. I think about someone who can take away my sin. He guides our lives, and he, according to the Bible, he is a healer. And one time he healed me. I had to develop... Uh, Meniere's disease and it's an incurable disease of the inner ear and it, it was just, just a just devastating thing and I kept praying about it and one night I was sitting at my desk and I was praying I said, Lord, take this from me and I, somehow I felt a peace come out over me at that point and Fact of the matter is, I only had a very slight episode after that and since then I've never had another episode of Meniere's disease. Even though the doctors told me that it was incurable, but it was cured by the greatest healer there ever was. One night we were having revival meetings at our church back in North Dakota. And uh, one night, my cousin, who I was very close to, went forward. The next night, I said, oh, if he did it, I will. So I went forward and I was, uh, gave my heart to the Lord. And then the next summer I was baptized in the, in the river, North Dakota. And uh, so that's, that's what's changed my life. When I trusted in Jesus the biggest change was that I did not have the fear of death because I had the assurance of going to heaven and not going to hell as a a great change great assurance and it gives you peace so that's great the greatest uh, story in the Bible, of course, is his his birth, the birth of Jesus Christ. He came to earth to live for us, to die for us, and take us to heaven eventually. That's that's the greatest story about Jesus that I can uh, think of. The the resurrection, actually. Shows that he was God, and going back to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and uh, he's there to make intercession for us forever. If there would have been if there wouldn't have been no resurrection, there wouldn't be any Christianity because he lived, died, suffered for us. And then he rose again. And the fact that he rose again and told us that what we could be like him, that's the resurrection is is the greatest part of our Christianity and the reality of it. And that's why we love him so much.
0: Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.